Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Indonesia's geopolitical plate is piling up as the archipelago state prepares to host the Group of 20, or G20, summit and associated gatherings in November, including the Religion 20, or R20, a high-level meeting of religious leaders, the first under the G20's auspices. The challenges and opportunities for Indonesia are multiple and often unique. In June, Indonesian President Joko Widodo persuaded the leaders of the Group of Seven, which groups Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, United Kingdom, United States, and the European Union to join the summit in Bali of the G20, made up of the world's largest economies, even if it is attended by Russian President Vladimir Putin. The G7 leaders had threatened to boycott the summit if Mr. Putin were invited because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Even so, much can derail Mr. Widodo's achievement in the months leading up to the summit. Although he has for now prevented a fracturing of the G20 even before the leaders convened. Pulling the G20 back from what could have constituted a devastating fiasco is just one of the pitfalls Indonesia has been seeking to maneuver. With two months to go until the Bali summit and a world mired in conflict, bifurcation and economic crisis, Indonesia's G20 presidency is hardly out of the woods. Insisting that Mr. Putin should attend the summit helps Mr. Widodo maneuver Indonesia through the minefields of a world increasingly polarized by the rise of civilizationist leaders who think in civilizational rather than national terms and the power struggle to shape the world order in the 21st century. Yet in a potential preview of the summit, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov walked out of a meeting of G20 foreign ministers in Bali in July when Russia came under fire for its war in Ukraine. The gathering ended without the traditional joint communique, chairperson statement, and group photograph. It underscored the fact that Indonesia may have to walk a diplomatic tightrope to prevent the November summit from fracturing the G20 beyond repair. As a result, the incident underscored the risks stemming from the power struggle and the expansionist ambitions of civilizations leaders such as Mr. Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping. They threatened to put a dent in Indonesia's successful track record of adhering to the principles of a 1955 conference in the Indonesian city of Bandung that gave birth to the non-aligned movement. That has not stopped Indonesia from rejecting Chinese claims to territory in the South China Sea, refusing China's offer to negotiate maritime boundaries, and at times conducting military exercises just beyond Chinese claimed waters, while maintaining substantial economic relations with the People's Republic. However, 
Increasingly, Indonesia may find that non-alignment no longer is its best option, even if that would not necessarily mean that it would pick sides in the US-China divide. What it does mean is that the G20 is the opportunity for Indonesia to showcase itself on the back of its diplomatic acumen as an attractive target for badly needed foreign investment and a regional power that has long flown under the radar. To do so, Indonesia, one of the world's biggest coal exporters and carbon emitters, will have to clarify its stance on a host of issues, including climate change, perceived threats posed not only by China, but also by AUKUS, the trilateral security pact between Australia, United Kingdom, and the United States that is allowing Australia to acquire nuclear-powered submarines, and the mushrooming of a food and energy crisis that raises the specter of a global recession. One way Indonesia hopes to make its mark is a summit of religious leaders that is scheduled to precede the meeting of heads of government and state. The religious summit is expected to refashion the G20's erstwhile interfaith track as the religion 20. But even that is not without its pitfalls. Organized by Nahadatul Ulama, the world's largest Muslim civil society movement in the world's largest Muslim majority country and the Islamic world's foremost democracy, in cooperation with the Indonesian government, the R20 constitutes at first glance a significant shift away from the approach of the IF20. In contrast to the IF20 that was dominated by scholars and activists, the R20 intends to bring together religious leaders to globally position religion as a source of solutions rather than problems. It is a call that resonates coming from the world's most populous Muslim-majority country and democracy. On the surface of it, the R20 constitutes an opportunity to energize the world's major faith groups to rally around shared civilizational values that would empower religion as a force for good that goes beyond lofty statements that are not worth more than the paper they are written on. That is a tall order given the role that religion and identity groups play in perpetuating rather than resolving conflicts based on international law, justice, and equity. Think of the Russian Orthodox Church as a driver of extreme Russian nationalism and the definition of Russia as a civilizational state rather than a national state, resulting in the invasion of Ukraine and potential threats to other former Soviet republics, or the uncritical support by Christian and Jewish groups of Israeli policies that violate international law, deny Palestinian rights, and long-term put at risk Israel's existence as a Jewish state. In addition, the R20's organizers missed an opportunity to present the effort to reposition religion by inviting the Muslim World League Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's vehicle to garner religious soft power and help polish the kingdom's tarnished image to co-organize the religious summit rather than representatives 
of non-Muslim organizations less beholden to a government. Even so, the R20 could undergird Mr. Vidodo's vision of applying the principles of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, to the G20. Indian officials argue that the nature of ASEAN has allowed its 10 members, despite their different political and economic systems, to prevent the once war-torn region from confronting another abyss and finding ways to peacefully manage or resolve disputes and tackle common problems. Like with the religious summit, Indonesia faces a tall order in attempting to pull back from the brink a world consumed by the war in Ukraine as it seeks to maneuver the pitfalls of mounting tensions between the United States and China over issues like Taiwan that like Ukraine could spark a war with a global fallout. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Also, thank you for all who have demonstrated their appreciation for my column by becoming paid subscribers. This allows me to ensure that it continues to have maximum impact. Maintaining free distribution means that news websites, blogs, and newsletters across the globe can republish it. I launched my column 12 years ago. To borrow a phrase from an early proprietor of The Observer, it offers readers, listeners, and viewers the scoop of interpretation. If you are able and willing to support the column, please become a paid subscriber by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Thank you. Take care and best wishes.